Welcome to the Federal View podcast series from Government Marketing University. This series offers commentary and insights from our ambassadors who are all former government trailblazers who served in leadership roles. During these podcasts, our ambassadors look behind the IT hype and candidly discuss how they would prioritize their time and their budgets today. Listen to this podcast series to hear the federal view from behind the scenes on current headlines and hot topics that will help you in your marketing and sales efforts to the federal government. Welcome to the Federal View. I have Kimberly Hancher from the Deepwater Point and Karen Britton from eManagement. And um, today I'm, we have a topic that is near and dear to Kimberly's heart, so I'm going like, to turn it over to her and let her kind of uh, open it up and give us set the stage for what the conversation is going to be today. Okay. Well, thank you, Martha. You know, um, we've got a lot of change that's being discussed in government, and we've got um, executive orders that have been written and we've got regulations that are being drafted. So uh, change, uh, while change is certain, it's not always progress. And to make sure that organizational change is a positive, towards the positive and has the outcomes that we want, uh, we have to provide the supporting mechanisms for successful organizational change. So um, organizational change cannot really be mandated. It has to be cultivated. Executives that are in charge of each agency have to walk the walk and talk the talk if they want to influence the workforce to change their thinking and actually change their behaviors. And what I'd like to discuss today are a few, well, let's call them critical success factors. First of all, employees really need to understand the reasons for change and agree that it will benefit their organization. So one of the very first mandates for agency leadership uh, as they, you know, as agency leadership discusses their proposed uh, workforce uh, reduction plan and their realignment of their organization uh, with OMB, and they come out with a clear understanding about what changes are needed, uh, those need to be communicated to the workforce in a way that employees can understand why the changes are being undertaken and how it will benefit their organization. Secondly, reward and recognition practices really need to reinforce whatever the desired behaviors are that we're looking for. Third, employees should be afforded the time and the support to develop newly needed skills. And boy, aren't there a lot of newly needed skills. I've heard a, um, a Workforce of the Future study saying that uh, five out of ten job titles that currently exist will be obsolete by 2020. Employees uh, also have to see leaders embark on their own personal transformation. Um, the, the role of the executive during change is to really serve as a role model, to actually model the behaviors that they want to see in their workforce and employees need to see that. 
So I'd like to talk a little bit about those factors and maybe even identify a few stories where we have seen this kind of reinforcement behavior from executives or agency leadership uh, support a, a difficult change. Karen, do you have anything that you'd like to, to share with us on, on that topic? As, as an example or just about change in general? <laughs> so, I mean, Kimberly, you bring up, I think, a lot of the challenges that we see around change management. And, and in these uncertain times, whether it is, you know, budget or change in leadership or direction and guidance that we're seeing throughout, there have got to be some strategies in place to really try to incentivize it. And I, and, and I do think it has to start at the top. So executives and these new leaders that are coming into these positions, they, they want me to have an understanding and, and, and something that I did when I first came in the CIO. I interviewed each and every person in the entire organization. I wanted to know their role. I wanted to know where they saw themselves fit. I wanted to see who were their customers, get an understanding of all of that. And before I started to make change, I had to assess and assess the environment. And as I started to look at things like a bottoms-up review for I wanted to pull together all the processes, I wanted to pull together where we were from technology, and align that with the workforce because, quite honestly, there were people in positions that were not going to necessarily be needed based on where we were going, where, you know, where I had set our, our, our vision and where we were moving to our mission. So definitely that needs to come into play. But one of the things that I tried to do was to just have open, honest dialogue and to be as transparent as possible. Um, because bringing people along is, is going to be critical and key. You don't want the old adage of folks digging their heels in and saying, oh, I'll just wait for the next person. Or, you know, they, you know, they can't fire me. I've been here for 25 years, and this is the way we've been doing it. Um, you want employees to know and understand uh, the direction that it's going in and for them to be part of it. So depending on what it was that I was changing, uh, I would try to bring somebody and position them in a leadership role of that project. And those are some of the things that I did. One, one big area that we did at, at White House was we moved into a new space. And as you all know, knocking down walls, breaking down barriers is huge. But each and every decision along the way, the space, um, the, the, the carpet, the chairs, all of those decisions were led by different teams. And this was huge because offices were not based on your position or title as directors. It was, they were purely based on function. And so you could have a more, I, I had a case where I had a more junior person that was in charge of records or somebody who had to have a closed door office who was more junior than a director and they got an office. So we knocked it down, we created a, a very collaborative workspace that in the end, many members of the team who were in IT, really valued the change that we were bringing about and how this was going to help them do their job better and how they were going to exchange information uh, across the teams better. So that was, that was one example. It, it took us 
uh, about a year to actually move and make the change. But over the course of that time, that was huge uh, culture and employee involvement. Great. Thank you. Marcia, can you think of uh, a story to tell us? So um, I've been trying to um, get the government to pay attention to improving government services for about two decades. Uh, when I start adding all the time up, right? Because I was involved internationally with countries that had national strategies focused on citizen services, and the U.S. has never had one. So I've been thinking about this a very, very long time. And, and I think that, um, you know, when we first started at GSA trying to um, think about this, because we were around customer, we were about customer service, um, but even internally within our own office, I, I was trying to look at the, 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 the USA.gov portal, our contact center, all the other smaller, Gobierno, uh, you know, kids.gov, all the sites, and start looking at how do we make, take it to the next step, which everybody thought it was perfectly fine the way it was. Um, same thing with like our, our government-wide programs that were shared services that we provided to other agencies. And we ended up um, doing, going through a process of creating an index, like a customer experience index, which allowed people to see the number. So it was about getting outside third-party validation from customers on, on what their experience was and getting like survey results and open text and all this so that then they could take a look at what the, what the true, it wasn't my opinion, right? It was customers' opinions on both sides, the agency services and the citizen services. And so from there, then we really started educating people on what is customer experience, why is it important, why is it important in the government. Mm -hmm. And so it, it was really a lot about, you know, all of the, the and that was a, a little, um, in, in a small office, because I really wanted to do it from a GSA perspective, mm -hmm. and I knew, I, you know, we were undergoing the transition from Dan to, uh, from Martha to Dan Tangerini, and I didn't think Dan had bigger fish to fry than me going in and saying we need to change GSA's customer service approach. So I just took it from the, my own small organization and tried to demonstrate some results, some short-term results and early wins in order to show and demonstrate that we could do it. Um, I think in terms of the whole government and change management, you really have to have administration support for the change that you're trying to affect because everybody's taking their signal from people, you know, above. I mean, my watch just went off while we were talking and it was like, you know, administration supports customer experience. And I'm like, yeah, and, you know. Great. Um, as well as agencies need to make it, make whatever it is a top priority within their agency because as we, we talked about before, People take their cues from the leaders above, and you need to, you know, walk that that, yeah. that walk or whatever. So I think there's lots of different, you know, open communications, right? When people have issues, if you if you don't let people talk, talk and express their opinions, it doesn't go away. They just talk to the other people in the organization, right? So you need a way to actually bring, give a voice to that, get people's ideas along the way, mm -hmm. and and bring them into the process in order to really affect change. Um, I think also, you know, the education piece, um, I, I, well, I have, I'll go back a little bit, I, I have a fundamental belief that everybody comes to work every day to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so, and sometimes in the government, 
things happen and you, you have engaged employees that become disengaged employees. And it's a real shame because there's people who want to give 150% and all of a sudden they don't know what to do when they become disengaged. So I think all those pieces kind of play into this ability to affect change. And, and, and I agree with what you said, Kimberly, about you need to tell people what's the reasoning behind what you're trying to do. You're not just making things up. Yeah, um, I guess, you know, I, in my experience, um, people really want to know specifically what behaviors do you want to see? You know, what are they? If, I'm, if we're not doing something, we're, you know, what is it <laughs> that you do want? So I think setting expectations is really important and clarity which is not always an executive forte, <laughs> um, is really important. So um, I remember when, uh, when the agency that I worked at was considering um, cloud migration for its mission systems. So we had a cloud-first policy. We had done a few small things in the cloud. And now we were considering taking the bread and butter mission system that's used at 53 field offices and is physically located on database servers in our computer room and actually putting them in the cloud. So it's an extremely um, political, small p, um, proposal, but I knew that it was the right thing to do for, for a number of reasons. And, Rather than go into all of the reasons, let me just say this. I made it very clear that this was the approach that we're taking. I did have listening sessions, and that was, you know, really giving employees a chance to say what they're worried about with this new approach. Um, and, it, it, you know, while I'll be honest with you, it didn't stop the crankiness or the crabbing, but it did give everybody a chance to air their concerns. And many of the concerns were things that actually there were some good countermeasures, but we hadn't thought of them yet because they hadn't been surfaced. So um, let me just say that making the vision clear, um, listening to what people's concerns were, and the other thing was relying on contractor support. In our case, we had a contractor that was going to do this transformation that uh, basically architected the cloud components um, that would host our application. The application was not going to change. So this is not about customer service. It really isn't. Only in terms of, actually the big one, reliability, <laughs> availability, <laughs> and security of that system because the reason I was moving it was for those three things. But the app itself was not changing. So it was mostly the IT, network engineers, system admins who would no longer have that system to administer, and operations personnel who would no longer have that system to do backups. So um, what we really had to do was be clear that your job is going to change. Do you think it's fear of the unknown? Like it they is. just don't know how the job's going to change? Yes. This is what they do every day? But yes. Once this happens, that job's not going to be there That's anymore, right. and they're worried about what the future job is. That's correct, and they're worried literally about a risk or their job being eliminated, and I was really clear. No one is going to lose their job associated with this migration to the cloud. 
There are lots of things that we need to do in our organization, but you will have to learn new skills. Right. You will have to transfer your knowledge, skills, and abilities into a new job classification. And I, I have to tell you that it ended up being a win-win because the people who could get their head around that, who actually were bored, who were, um, what do you call it? Uh, Maybe disenfranchised even. Perhaps. Yeah. yeah. You know, certainly their first reaction was, oh, just, just leave me out in the cold. But the, it's, suddenly it's exciting. I have a new job. And I'm going to be doing something different than I have done for the last 20 years. So it ended up being a win-win, but it took patience. It took um, a lot of executive support for the me issues that arise when you're doing organizational transfer. Don't you think that, um, or do you think that the, your the confidence that you displayed in that this is the decision, right? That this is the, the direction that we're going. Um, actually, in some ways it's difficult, but in other ways it's like if she really thinks that that's the right thing to do, that once you make that decision, you just have to like show that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I'll be honest, a leader. They, they do. They do. They and want to be led and have a direction and a focus. It's. I think that it's more challenging when you are waffling and stuck in neutral position. It really is. And realizing that a lot of these decisions do need to come from on high because uh, as much as CIOs are in the executive boardroom and the decision making, it has to be concurred and agreed upon by leadership. And then you can take your team and drive that. But when you're uh, I think still toggling and trying to figure out, you've got folks that are, they, they don't know which way to go. And they're waiting ultimately for that decision. And to, to then understand, I would say, their fate. Um, and in many cases, you have people getting on board with it because they may say, okay, I need, I need new skills, but they're gonna train me, they're gonna help me, they're gonna help me for my, towards my success. And they're on board with the change. Uh, I, I would say I, I think that change comes from the inside out. So as much as we're talking about, so inside is really where you're talking about the culture, you're talking about the beliefs, you're talking about um, the practices, and then you have the change. And then the outside is more of the systems, the processes, the structure, the things that physically have to change but you wouldn't get there without some of those inside, some some of those internal. Uh, I would. It, it's got to be the fabric of the organization. And then there are also, you know, such a phenomena as you might call in change management lingo laggards, the people yes. that are just not getting with that change. <laughs> They're gonna wait and see. And you know, sometimes they just don't have a place in the organization. Well, we, we, you know, we recently had a very visible situation where we had, you know, in, at GSA with, um, you know, 18F being created in a, one organization but being funded by another organization where the head of that organization voiced, you know, many, many, many ongoing concerns that were thrown aside and, you know, eventually ended up in an IG report and claims of reprisal and a special counsel report that actually substantiated that. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, how do we learn from the mistakes or from what has been, you know, what's happened there? Because you certainly, you know, no innovation, that's not good either. So how do we bring in this new talent and infuse it into the, the, um, the operation of government in a way that we raise the level of expertise and innovation across the whole government as opposed to having these pockets of, you know, uh, teams that have these new innovative ideas and skills, um, but they're they're very, they're very isolated. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about that, but I know, you know, I I, I never believe that should be isolated in a in a one organization. I, I believe that you, first of all, you can't just hire people without business, but that's a whole different topic. Um, but you do need to, you know, we need those kind of skills in government. It's a great idea. So. There certainly should be a way to take these ideas and skills and, you know. I I really think it's about um, diversity. Um, When you get a lot of people who think alike, let's say that they're innovation-minded. They're here to bring in new things. They are not here to work out legacy issues. They're here for new things. They're they're very like-minded. It's important to balance that with the other kinds of skills and capabilities. Um, you know, I, I can tell you that when, in policy change, when you're bringing in a new policy and program, you know, it's important that you uh, include legal, for example. If there's concern about legal issues, get an opinion, get an advisory opinion, you know. Then you, as the executive, you can work with the information that you've gotten from your best legal minds. Likewise, on financials. If there's a financial issue and, you know, you're not, uh, you, you, you have access to financial uh, analysts, use those analysts and ask for an analysis. So I think it's important to draw on the areas of subject matter expertise that you have available in the entire organization, because you've got a lot of diverse specialties there. I think part of that's true. You you can't come in and just disrupt and uh, impose change from on high without bringing in members of the team, people who've lived in this world or this environment for as long as they have. Um, it's certainly getting the right stakeholders around the table. Um, and, and yes, you've got to put some energy and excitement behind moving because part of uh, what I tried to do, even as we were moving to agile uh, technology and agile methodology, was I wanted people to see a way that we could bring in two vendors where you'd bring in a use case and the vendor that, you know, built the app or developed the app that supported the use case won. And, you know, we wanted them to both be successful, but people need to see some of this playing out in action and not in a way that is is going to be uh, – disengaging of folks who are already there, who already have a stake in the game, who also, to your point, Martha, wants to see change and improvement in innovation. Yeah, we talked a little bit about the vision, you know, inspiration and having, um, I think the the worst thing if you're, so this, you know, if you're a senior executive, you've got one kind of role in this change management. If you're a mid-level manager, you've got another another 
set of responsibilities. And then if you're a worker bee, you still got another set of responsibilities. And if you're a worker bee and there's a change coming, you don't know why, and there's no vision and you don't know where you're going, you're totally at a loss. And even, um, you know, we've been talking about in the government services um, vein, like State Department in the passport area, the Bureau of Consular Affairs, they have this tagline, which is no missed trips. So everybody knows that they don't want somebody to miss a trip because their passport wasn't processed. And we heard today, because in 2017, um, it's a big, a big surge in passports because it's 10 years after the big surge in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, people are working six days a week. And, and people were asking, like, doesn't that, what are, like, what's it doing to the workforce? And she was saying, and actually people are just jazzed about it, right? Like, they, they feel that they have such an important job to do to help people, um, you know, not miss a trip, whether it's a honeymoon or it's a trip, to, you know, to visit a family member or whatever. But I think that vision and understanding it and getting it communicated all the way down is um, still very important. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, um, and and yet I, I do think that from an executive, I love the idea, first of all, of a one-sentence tagline that really embraces sort of the, um, the mission and the objective of the organization. I like that. It's too many times, it's pages and pages of text, right. no visuals whatsoever, and it's really hard. Right. to articulate what the mission is. Um, so I love that idea. I think also government executives or government people in general, you've got a, it, they're not easy jobs. You know, we've talked before about CIOs, but you've got, you know, the Hill, you've got GAO, you've got the oversight bodies in your own organization, and then you've got all the kind of rules that you live with every day. And so I, I don't think people really totally understand how difficult it is sometimes to get things done in the government. And, and and this just adds another piece of it when people when you have people setting up obstacles to making this change. So, I, I think it's good for um, small to medium-sized businesses who are listening, who can really take one piece out of this is that federal leaders need help in this space, and if you have experience with um, change management, anything like that, because I didn't do any, none of us did this alone. And I mean, that would be a great competitive edge um, as a small to medium-sized business that could bring in um, support and really help with change management. Well, I think if you are a company doing business with government, um, understanding or helping an agency um, identify or create that vision and the possibility and helping to document it with data and get, just giving people ideas because they're busy every day with their, you know, keeping the trains on the track. Sometimes they don't have time to take a step back. And so that, that government industry collaboration is really critical to, to both parties, I think, making sure that we can accomplish those goals. Yes, yeah, I agree. So um, before we close, um, does it, do you guys have anything you, you know you'd like to uh, to uh, give your views on in terms of the next 60, 90 days in, in terms of change management? Well, sure. Um, you know, I'll just reinforce that my view is that leaders have to embark on their own personal transformation in sort of a public way. 
so that they can serve as role models by displaying the behavior change, the challenges, and how they're overcoming those challenges in their personal and professional transformation. People really like to see how leaders are transforming themselves. I would just add that my view is, you know, people get concerned and afraid when they hear the word change. And so whatever tagline leaders can put on this, whether it's, you know, revitalize or revision, whatever that is, use it because that's the thing that people can get behind and they understand it and they could feel like they're part of it because in the world that we're in, this is certainly a constant. Well, and my view is that you have a lot of acting people right now. And whether you're acting or whether you're in the job, you need to move forward. You cannot just sit and wait for a person to be brought into that job because Career civil servants have been there a long time, and they know in many cases where, where they need to go. This is a great opportunity for them to slide, you know, under the radar and, and make things happen. So that's a, that would be my, my view on, like, just get on with it. This is Martha Doris with Doris Consulting International, and we have Kimberly Hanser and Karen Britton here, and we will see you the next time on The Federal View. You just heard an exclusive Federal View podcast series interview from Government Marketing University. This series offers commentary and insights from our ambassadors who are all former government trailblazers who served in leadership roles. Stay tuned for more podcast interviews and don't miss out on Gain 2017 taking place on October 13th at the Hyatt Regency Residence.